Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. If you got your Bible, you know where to turn for hopefully the last time this year. <laughs> We're in Philippians. We're going to be reading in chapter 4 from verse 10 all the way down to verse 23. Uh, we'll unpack a few things. And it just uh, fits really beautifully, this passage, in, in the context of uh, a Christmas message, Jesus coming. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 10, and I am reading from the NIV translation. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to, opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read those first uh, two verses again, and we'll unpack a few things, and then we'll accelerate through because we're going to finish this morning. And I know you've all got family lunch and I've also got family lunch, and my family's here. Remember the family I told you that comes to church once a year on Christmas? Well, it's that day, and they're here. God is good. I had to give a shout-out to my mom, otherwise I won't get dessert today. I did warn the ushers when they passed the bucket past my sister to keep an extra close eye. One of the few times when she went to church when she was a young child and was learning manners, an offering basket went, went past and she stuck her hand in and grabbed some money out the offering bag and said, look, mom, just one. <laughs> Folks were teaching her that when someone offers you something, you don't take a handful of chips or whatever, you take just one. So she took just one out. So they, that's why we had extra security this morning, keeping an eye. All right, let's read again, verse 11 to verse 13. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Verse 11. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed 
or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Again, we're so challenged by this book that Paul writes to the Philippians, which is written to us as well. He's saying he's learned to be content. You see, in any and every circumstance, God wants to teach us things. Whether, whether we're in a difficult time, whether we're in a prosperous time, whatever situation you find yourself in, God wants to teach you something in that situation. And Paul's saying, whatever those circumstances are, I've learned to be content. Now, contentment is something that I think our Western world struggles to, to grapple with and to hold on to because, well, the Joneses live next door, didn't you know? And well, they just got a new car and they just fixed their bathrooms and, and they just got a, a, an overseas holiday that they went on. And so I've got to keep up with them because that's how life works, right? You see, we're bombarded with this fight against our contentment on a daily basis. This, this longing, this pull, this magnetic thing almost for you need more. You've got to have more stuff. You've got to acquire more things. You've got to have fancier, um, got to go to fancier restaurants and drink fancier cool drinks and eat fancier food and whatever it is. Am I talking to anyone this morning? Just making sure. But Paul's saying he's learned to be content. You see, contentment is not a, not a gift that just descends upon you one night when you're sleeping and you wake up and, oh, I just feel content about, about life right now. You know, yesterday I was comparing myself to the neighbors, but this morning, you know, like a dove, it just descended on me. Its name was contentment, and, and now I have contentment, and I'm just so, so at peace with everything. I'm at peace with the fact that I've got no money. There's no food in the cupboard. I'm just at, at ease, so content. I was like, no, that's not how it works. See, Paul says he learned to be content. This is something that he grappled with and that he's understood over time through experience, perhaps the, the school of hard knocks, perhaps through paying some school fees. He's learned what it is to be content. You see, this is something that, that we need to p- pursue and be intentional about. God, I, I'm seeking that I'll be content in all things, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance. You see, Paul, Paul, Paul's learned to abound without pride. See, he understands what it is to have plenty and not be arrogant, not be proudful. Yet on the other side, he's also learned to be in need, a place where he has practical physical needs, and not be resentful or not be jealous. He's learned both of these. Whether in plenty, whether in little, Paul's content. He's at ease. He's walking in the peace of the Lord carries on, verse 13, and I like the way that the ESV translation puts it, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. See, God's calling you to do things that you can't do by yourself. But when God strengthens you, you can do all things because of Him. See, this is, this is not, remember working out your salvation with fear and trembling on this side? Millennial, changing the world, playing Xbox Five, I do nothing because it's all by the grace of God. No, it's not that. It's also not this side where, well, I've got to work out my salvation. And so by my hard work, I'm, I'm going to earn my relationship with God. I'm going to earn God's love for me. I'm going to earn His pleasure over me. No, no, that's not how it works. 
He loves us while we yet still are sinners. See, it's a gift that He gives us. He forgave us before we did anything to earn it because we cannot earn His forgiveness. Our works cannot earn us any position within entering the kingdom. It's a gift. See, I can only do all things when I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, which looks like me holding on to the Lord. As he grabs hold of me, I grab hold of him. And as I'm in him, he's the one that strengthens me. He's the one that strengthens you, that you are able to do all things. It's only in this position that you're able to do that. It's not self-sufficiency on the one extreme. And it's not passivity on the other extreme. It's grabbing hold of him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's being in step with the Holy Spirit every day, each day, walking with him, being led by him. As we go on to verse 14 to verse 20, Paul now writes this quite lengthy thank you about generosity and about giving and about receiving a gift. You see, he's received a practical gift from the Philippian church. And he's saying thank you. Remember, rejoice in all things. He's rejoicing in the gift that he's received. He's saying thank you. He's been grateful. Sixteen times, just in this letter, Paul references to, to rejoice, to be glad, to have joy. And so Paul's doing what he preaches. He's practicing what he preaches. He's expressing his gratitude to the Philippian church for their generosity towards him. And then in verse 17 to verse 20, uh, let's unpack a few things here. Verse 17, it says, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Man, this is a powerful and peculiar verse. See, what I desire is not your gift, but that more be credited to your account. Remember two weeks ago, we had that long rope representing eternity. If the rope was a timeline representing eternity. And at the end of the rope, there was that little white marker. And that little white marker represented our time on earth. And what we were learning from the book of Philippians is that what we do on our time on earth affects and impacts the rest of eternity. And it's just this real small part of time. But what we do with our short time on earth impacts and influences the rest of eternity. What, what Paul's now saying is what you do with your money has an impact on eternity. Because he's saying, as you give, more gets credited to your account. See, you've got an account in heaven. See, you're going to be accountable one day for, the, for what you do with the resources that you have. What did you do with your money? How did you steward your money? What did you do with your job? Did you squander it? Did you just buy all the, the X5 games and you, you changed the world playing Xbox? Or, or did, you, did you do something a bit more fruitful with your resources? You see, as we give, there's, there's something that's deposited in your heavenly account. You see, what you do on this short bit of time on earth, the way you, you steward your resources there influences what happens in eternity. You see, as John always likes to remind us that they say you can't take anything with you, but it's not really true. You do take it with you by the way that you steward it now. By giving away now, by living a life of generosity now, you're, you're depositing in your heavenly account. 
Paul's saying, I desire not the gift, but that more be credited to your account. Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive, because as you're giving, something's being deposited in your heavenly account. Verse 18, it carries on, it says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent me. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. You see, our giving is a, is a part of our worship. It is worship. That's why we take tithes and offerings after worship, because it's an extension of our worship. As we steward our resources in a godly way, it is a fragrant incense offering to the Lord. It pleases Him. You see, if you want to please God, steward your resources well. And that's one of the ways. It's one of the, the pathways to please Him. Verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs. You see, as we, as we generously steward our resources, there's a generous promise from our King. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. See, God will meet all your needs. And, and, and when it talks about all your needs, it's not talking about just your practical needs. Now, it's also not talking about all of your greeds. Because <laughs> we, we, we like to interpret it like that. As I give, God's going to meet all of my greeds. Because I've been eyeballing that new Ferrari. <laughs> uh, it's an extreme example, but fill in the blank. No, God will meet all of your needs. But this is not just your financial needs. These are your emotional needs, your, your relational needs, your, your practical needs, your needs for affirmation. God's saying he's going to meet all of your needs as we give. I mean, our financial giving, it's so much bigger than just a transaction. It's, a, it's an holistic thing. It's a part of who we are. All of your needs God meets. And this promise is this personal. Paul says, and my God. You see, because Paul's, he's got a track record with the Lord. He's got, a, he's got a confidence in the Lord. And so he knows, he knows the God that he serves. Our God is going to meet all of our needs as we steward things in a God-honoring way. And it's such a generous promise. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He meets our needs with the riches of his glory. And then it carries on in verse 20. It says, To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. As it concludes this thought about giving. Now, as we started earlier, I said, giving is an extension of our worship. It is worship. So as we give, we're worshiping. Then there are these rewards for giving. Our bank account in heaven gets credited. All of our, me, our needs, not our greeds, are met here on earth. And it's this pleasing, fragrant offering to the Lord. And on the back of all of that, Paul says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. You see, the result of this circular thing is that he gets glorified even more. As we steward our resource, he gets glorified even more. The response is even more worship for him because he's worthy of all of our worship. 
It's talking about this multiplication. In the kingdom, when it comes to resources, it's about multiplication, not addition. Why are we talking about all of this today? Well, because it just so happened that the verses landed today, and I'm giving the microphone back to John at the end of this morning. <laughs> but I think the timing is beautiful as, as so much of the world gets caught up in this, this giving at this time of the year, but it's, it's more of a mammon giving than a, a godly, generous heart of giving. It's a consumer-driven giving rather than a, a godly generosity. I want to encourage us. Let's, let's ensure that as, we, as we're giving, as we're being generous, that we do it from a place of, of God-honoring gen- generosity and not just to, to appease or to please the Joneses that stay next door. And we're going to reflect now for a moment on the greatest gift that we receive when it comes to gifts, when it comes to receiving. But as we get into verse 22, Paul's now closing out the letter. He's, he's giving thanks. He's uh, closing out the thing and he's greeting all of the Philippians. And, and he sends a special greeting from all of the believers that are with him. He's in prison at Rome while he's, while he's writing this letter. And, and to all the believers that are in prison with him, he's sending greetings. But he's also sending greetings from all of the believers in Caesar's household. Now, Caesar's representing the emperor. Now, at the time, the emperor of the day was most likely Nero. That means that in Nero's household, there were believers. Paul had been able to preach the gospel to these people, and they're now believers that are working in Nero's household, in his, you know, working in the palace, the palace guard. They've received the story, the good news of the gospel, and they believe. The Roman Empire. Some of them starting to believe in these early days as the gospel is starting to be preached. You see, the, the good news of Jesus is not for one cultural group. It's not for one people demographic. Now we're seeing over here that it's for everyone. It's for absolutely everyone. Jesus came that all might be saved. Not just a select few. Not just one cultural group. Not just one people demographic. Not just one nationality know that all might be saved. And we see this happening in the world right now. We see the church, we see Christianity expanding in some of the places that we would least expect it to be expanding. One of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is in China. One of the other places is in India. I think you can easily deduct that this church growth is not because Christians are being born. (laughs) You can't be born Christian. You choose to be Christian. As you receive, as you respond to the gift of, of, of Jesus. Places like Afghanistan, Iran, the church is exploding and we're seeing millions of believers in these places. As people encounter Jesus in dreams, heard a story of someone that goes to a mosque and stands outside and asks everyone coming in, did you have a dream of a man in a, in a white robe? But they say, yes, let's go stand over there. Ask them and there'd be times where multiple people Tens and multiple tens of people would have had on the same night had a dream of a man dressed in a white robe appearing to them and revealing himself to them, and his name is Jesus. And then this guy would preach the gospel to them and explain what took place in their dream, and we're seeing thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ because God is moving. Because when he came, 
when he made a way, it wasn't for one people group, it was for all. And the, the news might not tell us about the gospel being spread and preached in some of these unreached places, but I want to tell you that it's happening. The church is growing. The kingdom of God is expanding. We're going to touch on Isaiah in a moment. So as Paul closes out this letter, let's go back to the beginning of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verse 2. He starts the letter and he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul starts the letter by saying grace and peace to you. How does he now end the letter? Right at the end, chapter 4, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. See, he opens the letter with grace and peace be with you. He closes the letter with grace of the Lord be with your spirit. Because as we've studied this book of Philippians, okay, sorry, my family's here and they only come to church once a year. So I just need a few moments to fill them in. And John and Lisa also missed because they've been on sabbatical. So what have we covered over the last 12 weeks? This whole thing of sanctification and justification. What is justification? It's just as if I never sinned. I'm saved because Jesus' righteousness became my righteousness as if I had never done anything wrong. Sanctification is working out my salvation with fear and trembling as I continue to make good godly decisions to live a life that pleases Him. As we've covered some of these things, as we've learned to abound in love and knowledge and discernment, that we choose these things, that we get knowledge and that we abound in love, that whatever happens, that we serve the Lord, that we defend the gospel, that we preach the gospel in all circumstances, that we live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus, that we live a life of humility, humility, valuing others above ourselves, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we don't put any confidence in the flesh, but that our confidence is in Him, in Christ Jesus, that we consider everything loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, that we live as citizens of heaven now, because we are citizens now. That's why our time, our short time on earth, influences the rest of eternity, that we are citizens of heaven now, that we rejoice in all circumstances, that we are content in any and every situation, that we live a life of gentleness, that we renew our minds, that we think about godly, good, praiseworthy, excellent things. These are some of the things that we've covered over the last 12 weeks. We'll end it over there. To do all of these things, it starts with the grace of the Lord. And it continues, and it continues, and it lives in the grace of the Lord. You see, the grace of God is it's this, this powerful and strange word. The grace of God is this unmerited, undeserved favor and love that He gives us. You see, we can't do anything to earn our salvation. On this extreme, work out your salvation. We can't work it up. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. Every other spiritual form in the world lives over here. By my works, by my effort, by my striving, by my self-denial that I earn some form of spirituality. Self-sufficiency. See, we can't do that with Jesus. His grace is the undeserved 
favor, unmerited favor, free forgiveness that we receive that's unearned, it's undeserved. So on the one, on the one hand of this, this two-legged word grace is, is this free gift that we get. On the other leg is the empowerment to do everything that it says. Everything that we've covered in the book of Philippians. See, the grace of God is there as an enabling strength to enable us to work out our salvation, to value others above ourselves, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The grace of God is this power that lives within us, that inspires us, that enables us, that moves us, that stirs us. It's all because of his grace that we're able to do all of these things. See, last week we spoke about the peace, the peace of God that we receive by renewing our minds, by lifting up prayer as we don't take hold of anxiety, as we let go of anxiety, grab hold of Jesus, and in all situations lift up prayer and thanksgivings that the peace of Christ might rule, might come and guard our hearts and our minds. This, this military peace that protects us. But you see, the foundation of all peace is our relationship with Father God. In the absence of that relationship with Father God, that peace cannot really exist. And so it all starts with knowing Him. It all starts by the the grace of God. It ends by the grace of God. Let me read Isaiah 9, 6-7. I didn't know that Lisa was going to paint that this morning. For to us, a child is born. Let me pause over there. I think it's, it's valuable to note that this prophetic word by Isaiah was written down, was spoken 700 years before Jesus was born. It's a long time. 700 years before Jesus came, there was a prophetic word. God spoke because he knew it was his plan all along that he was going to send a son that would be the redeemer. God himself coming in human form. Let's carry on reading. For to us... A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, it all starts there with him. He is the Prince of Peace. Without him, there cannot be peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, 700 years before Jesus came to earth, the zeal of the Lord was moving in his own heart. This zeal speaks of a love, speaks of a passion, speaks of a desire of a loving God to have relationship with a broken, lost people. The zeal of the Lord was inspiring him, driving him, moving him, that he would fulfill the plan that he had before the creation of time, that he would come in the form of the Son, born of a virgin Mary, letting go of his his godliness, his deity, coming in human form, that he might live a perfect and sinless life, 
Because you see, the zeal of the Lord was longing for mankind to be restored into relationship with Him. And the only way that that could happen was to remove the barrier. And the barrier is called sin. The only way that that sin could be removed because the whole of the old covenant showed us and proved to us that doing it over here in self-sufficiency is not possible. Not, not possible. Cannot be done. And so he knew the only way that this could be done was to let there be a replacement. That if Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life, if he laid down his life as a sacrifice, that his blood would be shed, just like all of the old covenant covenants. Blood was always shed in the covenant. His blood was shed. That sin could be dealt with. Now this is where it gets theologically a little bit deep. But stay with me because you're going to be on holiday soon. Lunch, lunch is coming. You see, the blood was not shed to appease the devil. No, it was to appease himself. Because he's a perfectly just and righteous God. He's a self-consistent God. If he's not consistent with who he is, then he's not God. You see, if sin cannot coexist within his presence, then how could mankind come into his presence? No, it had to be dealt with. Sin had to be dealt with. And so because God is self-consistent, he had to make a way to appease him and who he is, his perfection, so that you and I could be restored, that you and I could have relationship, that we could be redeemed, that we could come out of darkness and into light, that those that were lost could be found. I remember when I was a student and I had a bunch of, uh, can we call them reprobate friends? I think that's a biblical word. We were at a, a sports club and uh, and, and one of the halls at the sports club had been hired out for a private function. I don't know if it was a 21st or a wedding or it was some formal do that was taking place. And one of my friends, for some reason, got in his head that he wanted to gate crash the formal do. He wanted to get in. I don't know if he was looking for free food or free drinks, whatever it was. He wanted to get in. But he knew in his scallywag clothing that he was wearing, he was not going to get in to this party. And I happened to be wearing a not a formal shirt, but a slightly more formal shirt. For him, it was like a formal shirt because it had a collar. But it was a pretty, pretty casual shirt. But for him, it was, like, it was formal. So he came to me and said, Daryl, please, can I wear your shirt? I just want to borrow it for a while. What do you want my shirt for? No, you can't have my shirt. No, no, well, I want, I want to get into the party, and I won't get in dressed like this. No, bro, there's no way you're going to have my shirt. Like, what am I going to wear? No, we'll swap shirts. I'm not wearing your shirt. Not going to happen. Anyway, I refused. You see, he wanted, he wanted what I was clothed in to gain access to what he couldn't gain access to. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. See, Christ came and lived a perfect life. That he could take his clothing and put it upon us. 
that when we're clothed in Christ, we have access to what we didn't have access to before. See, when we're clothed in Him, we get into His presence. We become citizens of heaven. Jesus lived a perfect life that He might clothe you with Himself. Righteousness. Not because of our own self-sufficiency, but because of Him. Because of the sacrifice He made that sin could be dealt with. It's the reason Jesus came in the form of a child. Born Virgin Mary. All with one great goal in mind. That we might be clothed with Christ. That we might gain access to what we cannot gain access to outside of Him. His presence. Intimacy with Him. Fellowship with Him. I mean, just think about it for a moment. The God of the universe coming down and making a way. To what end? That He might have a relationship with you. So as we were singing this morning, He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He gives us gifts that we don't deserve. The gift that keeps on giving. It's Jesus. It's not phones. That's where the saying came from. 1920 in a marketing advert. The gift that keeps on giving. And it was those old phones. It wasn't even called a phone then. I forget what it was called. But once you had the gift, you could keep on speaking to people. Jesus, he's the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 9. But because of his great love. For us, not because of his wrath, not because of his anger, no, because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. See, he came even when we were dead in transgressions. Our self-sufficiency couldn't earn him or move him or inspire him to come. No, he came while we were yet dead in our transgressions. Because he knew he was the only way to restore us. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Remember, heavenly citizens. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. And how are these incomparable riches of his grace? How do we experience them? It says it's expressed In his kindness towards us. His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. And look at what I did. No, not by works. But by his works. By Christ's works. And it's a gift. And all we have to do is receive it. And when we open up our hearts to receive the gift, everything changes. Everything changes. As we start to close, otherwise I'll be in trouble with my mom. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, and then verse 6 to 10. Therefore, since we have been justified, just as if I'd never sinned, Because we've been justified through faith 
as we believe in him, that Jesus is the son, that he laid down his life for us, that he died and that he rose again as we put our faith in him. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. As we move down to verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the righteous that by self-sufficiency did it all. No, he died for the ungodly. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Jesus came with a very clear mission and intention to save us to rescue us, to redeem us, that we might live now on earth as heavenly citizens, not waiting for one day when we pass through that threshold called death, but that right now we live as citizens of heaven, seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, even right now. Jesus came to earth to change our lives for eternity. He was born so that he could die, so that we could live. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for the fact that you came. You left your, your God deity behind in some senses. That you could come in the form of a man. Yet fully God and fully man, you lived. You showed us a way that had never been seen before as you lived a perfect, sinless life. All with the intention of rescuing mankind. The greatest gift ever given. Greatest gift the world has ever seen. The gift of relationship, of reconciliation. Connection with a loving Father his name is Father God. Lord, as we celebrate your coming in these days, help us to live a life of contentment. Help us to learn to be content in little and help us to learn to be content in much. Help us to live a life of generosity. Lord, may your saving grace abound in our lives that your grace will enable us to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you work in our hearts and that as we celebrate your birth these days, that we reflect upon the reason why you came, that we reflect upon your love for us, the goal that you had in mind, that we would be reconciled in relationship with you.
the God who created the heavens and the earth, wanting to have relationship with you and me. Oh Lord, truly you are a God of grace, of kindness, and of love. Thank you that the, the, the promise of the scripture will be our reality, that we will experience this grace expressed through your kindness in these days as we open up our hearts to you. We say, Holy Spirit, come and move. Come and have your way. And through all things, may you be glorified. Amen.